Hey everyone, and welcome to DeFacto. This is a podcast from the perspective of two students who are currently trying to survive the IB. I'm Amelia. And I'm Ju Yi. And today, instead of thinking about university applications or making final touches to our loads of coursework, we're going to be talking about antibiotics and more specifically, and sadly, antibiotic resistance. So first, let's start with an analogy. If you're like me, you get cuts pretty frequently. I can trip not just up, but also downstairs, stub my toe on the same place almost every week, it's terrible, and do a lot of things that result in open wounds, though they usually heal after a while, so that's quite nice. But most of the time, because of these are small cuts, like I've said just now, they're okay. But it was different in the past. Because of their lifestyles, accidents were pretty common. So like things falling off of shelves, hitting people on the head, agricultural tools hurting you, and all sorts of injuries. So actually, most people die not from like um infect uh, not from like you know sicknesses or age like they do today, but most people die from these injuries, not just because of the wound, but also because of the resulting infections from bacteria. Until all that changed. So in 1928, Sir Alexander Fleming left a colony of bacteria, the very things that caused so many deaths throughout the pre-antibiotic world, uncovered in a petri dish near the window and went on vacation. That was quite a very dangerous thing to do, so I would not advise leaving jars of bacteria around. But that actually worked quite well here because it was an accident, but to his surprise, when he came back, he found that there was mold on his bacteria. And the curious thing was the bacteria around the mold had all died. So he had discovered penicillin, and with it, the world was revolutionized. Mortality rates due to bacterial infections plummeted, and just as one example, syphilis rates have fallen by 90%, and the mortality rate is down by 98%. So antibiotics are amazing, and there's no doubt about that. They've saved many lives, and they'll continue to save many more. But there's an accompanying rise in use that is nowhere near as pleasant, which is antibiotic resistance. To give some numbers to the issue, in 2014, there were 130,000 deaths due to measles and 700,000 due to antibiotic resistance. That's about five times the amount that was passed on due to measles. There are even projections that say 10 million will die per year due to antibiotic resistance in 2050, which is just 30 years away. No matter which way you look at it, these numbers are really scary. So. As we've seen, antibiotic, uh, antibiotic resistance is a big threat to modern medicine. But before we look at antibiotic resistance, let's briefly explore how antibiotics work. So essentially, antibiotics work by stopping or interfering with the cellular processes of the bacteria. And these processes are fundamental for the survival of the bacteria. And without these, they cannot live or reproduce. So for example, Antibiotics can block the synthesis of DNA, RNA and proteins, as well as disrupting the synthesis of vital vitamins. Further, they can destroy the bacterial cell walls, which serve to protect the bacteria themselves. So, antibiotic resistance arises when genetic mutations within the bacteria provide ways to fight against the attack of antibiotics. So, embedded in the plasma membrane or cells, are proteins which carry out a variety of functions. Some of these proteins, such as protein channels and pumps, act like kind of gateways into and out of the cell. By reducing the number of channels in their membrane, bacteria can reduce the amount of drug that actually reaches the cell. Also, pumps, 
which require energy to function, can expel antibiotics from within the cell to outside, further protecting the bacteria. As well as preventing the antibiotics from reaching their target bacteria in the first place, bacteria cells can also change the target and destroy the antibiotics themselves. So many antibiotics attach to a target on the bacteria's surface, which prevents the bacteria from interacting with other molecules. Now the bacteria can change the shape or even replace this target so that the antibiotics can no longer attach to it. In addition, some bacteria can secrete enzymes which can digest antibiotics. Um, One example of this is the enzyme uh, beta-lactamases which can digest penicillin. But how do these superfat powers spread in bacterial populations? So bacteria contain pili on their surface which allows them to attach to one another and transfer desirable DNA between organisms. Furthermore, Charles Darwin's theory of natural selection, or survival of the fittest, explains how only the most resistant, powerful superfugs are most likely to survive and reproduce, and hence they can pass on these sort of superpowers to their offspring. Yeah, I think something that was quite interesting was we're actually learning about natural selection in biology at the moment, and like... One of the very interesting things is bacteria really come in a variety of like different sorts of bacteria because you have like rod-shaped bacteria or circular bacteria. Like, do you know if these are also able to pass like genetic material between them? Um, so I'm not sure, but I mean, most bacteria have these pili on their um, surface. So I would assume that they can, whether they can transfer between different types of bacteria but something that we were also discussing in biology was that actually there's a very fine line between different species of bacteria Um, and there's one school of thought which is where all bacteria are actually the same species just on this kind of gradation of different types and if that were the case then presumably um, DNA could be transferred between the um, between different types of bacteria. So why is the problem of antibiotic resistance growing? Well, to put it simply, we're overusing antibiotics. One big source of the use of antibiotics is in agricultural practices. Now this first started in 1935, and in the 1940s in the US, antibiotics first started to be used as growth promoters. This was after it was accidentally discovered that antibiotics could increase the rate of growth in chickens by up to 50%, which in a time of economic difficulty in the US allowed for cheap production of meat, and as a result antibiotics were used in up to 70% of farm animals, um, despite the fact that they were unaware of the consequences. Yeah, so I actually saw this statistic that from the World Health Organization that said that actually 80% of the antibiotics we use are given to animals not just to treat their infections but also as growth promoters, which seems really insane and brings up a whole other issue of the meat industry and how like most meat is currently grown. So while we're not going to focus on that today, I would really suggest that you look it up because it's honestly a really sad thing and it ties in well to antibiotic resistance. Definitely, and this continuous overuse of antibiotics in animals continues today with 
and farmers kind of mix in small amounts of antibiotics into feed so that for like several months at a time so that animals are getting a continuous feed of antibiotics um, in hope to prevent uh, infection but actually this is just creating the perfect kind of breeding ground for superbugs and resistant bacteria which can then be transferred to humans. So in addition to the use of um, antibiotics in the agricultural industry, we are also overtaking them ourselves. So a lot of people will go to the doctors and be prescribed with antibiotics for things such as viruses like flus and the cold, which cannot be treated with antibiotics because they're viruses. And a study actually showed that in the US, that up to 50% of antibiotics are prescribed unnecessarily or inappropriately. Yeah, so similarly to that, I also saw that in the UK, apparently 1 in 10 antibiotics are unnecessary, which is really crazy to think about. I mean, 1 in 10 is nowhere near as 50% as in the US, but if you think about like the amount of antibiotics that are prescribed, if you take just 1 in 10, that's still a huge number of things that we could not be wasting. Yeah, and for the implications that it that arise because of it with antibiotic resistance and the threat to health, I think, well, we definitely need to reconsider how often and why we are taking antibiotics. Yeah, so that ties in quite nicely to what I was going to talk about next with implications. But before we go into implications, I'll just bring in a bit of context on how like this has been arising and how antibiotic resistance is actually a very much a problem that we should be considering. Because remember the example at the start of penicillin? Well, when we first discovered penicillin, it was used everywhere. And honestly, I don't think that's much of a, you know, it's something to say, well, obviously it was our ancestors' fault. Why didn't they know that you would develop antibiotic resistance? Because usually you want as many good things as you can, right? If you have a medicine that works, you want to get it to as many people as possible. But what happened was, because of it, because it was used so widely, we found a resistance strain in the 1940s, and by the 1950s, bacteria had widespread resistance to penicillin. So that just ties in well to what Amelia just said just now about how we have penicillin resistance, but also brings on nicely to the implications of this. So what would happen in a world filled with antibiotic resistance? Well, the sad truth is, if it's in a very extreme circumstance, we would be going back to the pre-antibiotic world like we described at the start. So it's quite hard to imagine at the moment because we've always had antibiotics. and But this would actually would be quite a potent case because all the antibiotics that we have today are useless and therefore, you know, we can't treat bacterial infections in the way that we do today. So you would have a lot more things as, for instance, if you get something fallen on you and something spreads and you have a bacterial infection, well, instead of getting treated with that with antibiotics, those antibiotics would be useless to these bacteria because they are able to have resistance to it and because of that, we would likely be facing a lot more deaths as a result, which is a really sobering thought. So it's really hard to imagine now, like even though I'm saying it, it's still hard for me to fathom because most generations nowadays have always had antibiotics. But while I was thinking about this, I just imagined something like, you know, let's say I accidentally cut myself while using scissors one day. And let's say the scissors were really rusty, so I get infection from it. But instead of going to a hospital, I would actually die from that infection which is honestly so hard to think about. Another point is that we don't just use antibiotics for infections. So actually for things like organ transplants, which we've talked about the other day, 
um, surgery and similar medical procedures, all of those things use antibiotics. And if, you know, the things that we're trying to treat actually develop resistance to the thing, because, you know, bacteria want to survive, right? Just like any organism, bacteria want to survive, and therefore that's why antibiotic resistance has evolved, so that they can continue to survive. But for us, that's not beneficial. And in order to do that, we really need to think carefully about what we're doing. So let's take a look at solutions. The simple solution would just be to make antibiotics, right? Just produce more of them. Then we can, you know, target all the resistance strands. If they gain resistance to this one thing, let's get another course of antibiotics and then it'll all be fine, right? Well, actually, it wouldn't really work because antibiotics take a long time to produce, but bacteria can multiply in number exponentially in just hours. Like for instance, one bacteria, let's say you have one bacteria at 12 o'clock. By 12.30, you have two bacteria. By one o'clock, you have four. And you keep like increasing in number exponentially. So bacteria can grow so much more quickly. Whereas, for instance, you cannot go into a lab at 12 o'clock and produce two antibiotics by 12.30. Like that's just not going to happen because of feasibility. So the thing is the bacteria are going to produce much faster than we are. And unfortunately, that's not going to work very well. So we can't really produce more antibiotics. Another more important reason is that production of antibiotics has actually slowed. So we've found no new classes of antibiotics since 1987, which is a really long time ago. So that's, let me try and do math really quickly again. That's 33 years ago, which is honestly so crazy to think about because I was not born 33 years ago. And even if you were born 33 years ago, we still like the fact that we have so been so long without antibiotics whereas within this time we've already found so many bacteria with antibiotic resistance that's honestly a really sad thought the other reason about like there are just so many reasons why antibiotic um production is hard but another reason is because if you had a good antibiotic right you would only want to use it once because if you use an antibiotic lots of times you know it's really inconvenient and it also costs a lot of money but for the companies if you have an antibiotic that you only use once, you can't profit from this, right? And therefore, there's no incentive for you to do it. Because the sad fact is, if you don't have enough incentive, monetary incentive, you can't con continue with your work. And if you can't continue with your work, you can't produce new antibiotics. So a sad example is acaugen. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, but acaugen? Um, they made this drug called plasomycin that targeted Enterobacteria sea some strains of which are multi-drug resistant. And they actually thought that this drug, plasomycin, could have treated superbugs, which are bacteria that are resistant to multiple antibiotics. So, so this was really good news. So this drug came out in 2018, and everyone thought, wow, we might actually have a contender against these superbugs. But what happened to them was that in 2019, the company filed for bankruptcy. And that's the case, it's not just one isolated case. Unfortunately, that's the case with a lot of pharmaceutical companies where they make really good drugs. But unfortunately, before they can produce them en masse or before they can produce even more drugs that would help the population, they have to go bankrupt because they have no more choice and they don't have enough monetary, um, they don't have enough monetary incentive and also not the resources to continue with what they're doing. So if... Producing new drugs is not a feasible solution. What are our solutions? So, firstly, the most obvious one is simply reducing our use, whether that be an agricultural practice or reducing how often we take them for things like viral infections. 
Um, so, and I think this starts with education. We need to tell people why, um, like, we need to tell people why antibiotics won't work against viruses and when they actually should be taking antibiotics. So a Europe-wide study in 2009 of 27,000 people actually found that 53% thought that antibiotics killed viruses and 47% believed that they were effective against colds and flu. This is a huge proportion of people who simply don't know what antibiotics should be used for and hence it's not surprising that we are overusing them in our society at the moment. So we need to increase education for when it is appropriate to use antibiotics and when it isn't to help reduce our use and reduce resistance. Yeah, so I think something that is quite important to understand is that bacteria, like the things that cause us disease are basically divided into three categories. You have fungi, bacteria, and viruses. And while this might just sound like a load of science terminology to you, it's just important to know that the reason these things have different names is because they are very different categories. So the categories are very complicated, um, but essentially just know that viruses are different in structure for bacteria. In fact, we don't consider viruses living, whereas bacteria themselves are considered living. And therefore, it's just something important to keep in mind that a virus is not the same as bacteria and both can cause diseases. So just to carry on with what Amelia said on education, I also think it's important to not just ask for antibiotics whenever you want them. Like for instance, it's, it sounds really easy, um, bad on when I say it like this, but actually, you know, it, I think it's just important to remember that antibiotics aren't just something you take because your cold is bothering you. And in any case, cold and influenza are viruses. So don't ask for antibiotics for viruses, please. And also two more just quick tips. Um, if you're given a course of antibiotics, make sure that you finish them even if you feel better because you still might have those resistant strains of bacteria that you may need to make sure you kill. And that's why it's very important to finish courses of antibiotics. Also, make sure you don't share antibiotics because the antibiotics that someone is given might not be the proper ones. Like for example, if both Amelia and I have colds, well, no, we don't have colds because we don't take um, antibiotics for viruses. See, that was a very bad example. But let's say we both have a similar bacterial infection. And let's say um, Amelia has some antibiotics and I don't. And I notice that she has some. So I say, oh, um, Amelia, can I have, you know, can I have one of your antibiotics? Well, the appropriate response would be no, because first of all, it might not be the proper ones. Like some antibiotics are really specific. And even if not, you should really follow proper medical guidelines. Things that have similar symptoms might not be the same. So although this is not bacteria, just look at the example of a similar disease, the coronavirus and the flu. Even though both have some similar symptoms, it doesn't mean that because you have the flu, you have the coronavirus and vice versa. Cool. So I just wanted to briefly talk about a new area of research that is quite exciting and being looked into as a possible alternative to antibiotics. And this is honey. So for a long time, honey has been used because of its nutritional benefits and also its healing properties. Originally, scientists were intrigued by the question of why can bacteria not survive in a beehive? So, so far, studies on the biochemistry of honey have showed that so honey is made of water mainly and carbohydrates, and the carbohydrates make up about 82% of honey. And 
It is this high sugar concentration that is responsible for some of honey's antibacterial properties. So the concentration of water is higher inside the bacteria than outside, and so water is drawn out from the bacteria to the honey solution, causing them to dry out and die. Additionally, honey contains the enzyme glucose oxidase, which, when it breaks down glucose, produces gluconic acid and hydrogen peroxide. Gluconic acid is what gives honey its low pH of just 4, making it 1,000 times more acidic than the neutral pH of 7 that bacteria need to survive. Furthermore, hydrogen peroxide destroys the bacterial cell walls, causing them to die. So whilst research into using honey as an alternative to antibiotics is still in very early stages, it is actually currently used in some cases to treat wounds and burns and ulcers in modern medicine, although it remains a very controversial and uneasy topic and it is usually used as the very last resort. But I think this area of kind of treatment using honey has for a long time been kind of seen as this sort of almost like pseudoscience, like a bit wishy-washy, not properly a treatment. So I thought I'd just explain a bit behind the theory behind why actually honey could be so um, powerful as an antibiotic. And it's important to note that it's not currently available as an antibiotic and it currently cannot replace antibiotics. But research into it may produce honey treatments that may be effective in the future. I think that's really exciting because also, you know, we have honey a lot at home because we like it and drinks like I really like honey lemon, for example. So I think it's really interesting because I would have no idea that honey has like so many chemical properties. And it's actually so interesting that the combination of what happens after honey is broken down um, actually produces two things that actually destroy bacteria. So that's really cool. So I think in summary, what we've talked about today is very depressing. But unfortunately, I think we both agree that it's a very depressing topic in any case because antibiotic resistance is something that not everyone knows about even though everyone knows about antibiotics and it's definitely a very worrying thing. Like for example, there are so many TED Talks or additional videos on YouTube just as an example that talk about people who have actually first-hand experiences with consequences of either the pre-antibiotic world or consequences currently of someone dying from antibiotic resistance. So if we go with the number of 10 million by 2050, well, cancer killed 8.2 million in 2017. And if you just compare that, even though, you know, it's a ways off into the future and the proportion is not the same, well, it still means that both these things are very, very severe and antibiotic resistance is definitely something to consider quite seriously. So maybe just um, if you could look up what what antibiotic resistance means as well if you're interested that would be really cool as well as educating people around you like we've suggested because it's really a serious topic and we really hope that more people will consider it but for now um thanks for listening and we'll be back with more facts that encourage us to think about our actions and their consequences next time thanks for listening bye